Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance, active, licensed, men's packaged, and flag tees. Jim's 
exploitation of his senses to solve crime. So, and I've only ever seen the first season um, because, uh, honestly, I had a really difficult time getting past the production values. Because by the time I got into the Sentinel, as the fandom goes, it had been off the air for quite a while, and the production values are um, good for their time, but they, but it does not hold up well as as far as... But you can watch the entire series on YouTube, or at least you could, and if you still can, I'll find the link. At one point, I'd put, in, I'd put the link up in Minion Headquarters um, for people to watch the entire series on YouTube, but I'm not sure if it's still actually there or not. Um... <clears throat> I hope everybody's not echoing. There is a delay. It's usually 30 seconds to a minute. I, I don't know why. Because even if I could, I can't even... It, the delay is kind of like... I don't even know why it's there. I, I really don't. I guess it just could be between the phone and the internet itself. It's not something that's really intentional. Um, there are also... Jade, um, said in the chat room, they're releasing the Sentinel on DVD this summer, and that's true enough. I've heard that as well. Uh, I uh, hope they clean it up a little bit. Anyways, um, what's known in the show is actually um, extremely sparse. Uh, we know that Jim, since his first came online while he was in South America, um, living with um, a tribe. And then they were suppressed, and he forgot most of what happened in South America. And then he came back home because he was rescued. And eventually uh, he met Blair um, when he was having sensory spikes. And Blair started to help him manage his senses because Blair had discovered that he was a sentinel, um, as described by Burton, a fictional version of Burton, um, in the show. And... um, Spirit animals are touched on briefly, um, and guides are mentioned exactly once. And it was like exactly once, and it was um, by a bad guy or a semi-bad guy, depending on how you looked at it, um, CIA guy, who called Blair Jim's guide. And, of course, Fannin exploded around this concept of a guy, Brackett. Um, um, Julie's saying his last name was Brackett, and I do agree with you that's probably the right name, Brackett. That's very familiar. It's been a long time since I watched the original Sentinel and Confession, one I've often made in the past. And when I, the first time I wrote Sentinel, I'd never watched a single episode of the TV show. I based my entire story on fan fiction I had read. I, I'm not going to apologize. Anyways, it kind of opens you up, and there are lots of ways you can approach the Sentinel concept because there's not a lot of canon for you to ignore. And some people have a difficult time ignoring canon. So because the canon is sparse on the mythology of Sentinels and guides, if you want to use that term, but you don't have to because it's only mentioned once. And so it's, you know, but that's part of the fanon, and that's what people expect to see when they're seeing a story um, set in the Sentinel fandom. um, fandom. They're expecting a a fairly large amount of fanon. It's just what 
bred in the fandom itself, and that's what people expect when they're going to open up a story that says Sentinel Crossover or Sentinel Fusion. They're expecting a certain amount of uh, fanon. And Shaylin asked in the uh, the chat room, you obviously read good fanfic that had Blair as a strong character. That is actually completely inaccurate. I was exposed to a great deal of fan fiction where Blair was a big crying whiny girl. And it offended me deep in my soul. Deep. Deep in my soul. I was, it was oh, it was terrible. I was so fucking offended by the portrayal um not only because it was emasculating for the, for a male character to be treated that way. But also, it was insulting to women because they put Blair on bottom. And I don't care if he's on top or bottom. But then they made him into a woman, and then he wasn't even a strong woman. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, they didn't look like literally make him a woman. They made him act like the female counterpart in the relationship. But then he wasn't even a strong female counterpart. He was a whiny 15-year-old girl. I mean, it was ridiculous, and I fucking hated it. And so when I approached my Sentinel story, I decided I was not going to do that. I was going to make Blair a fucking badass, and so I did. And the backlash I got was epic. Oh, my God. You would have thought I had set the fandom on fire. The amount of email I got was ridiculous. Now, I did get a lot of great feedback. I did. I did. I got a lot of fantastic feedback. And I even won um, an award for... uh, the Awakening, which was set in the Sentinel fandom, and it was a Jim and Blair pairing, and I and I won a Light My Fire award uh, for that story, and um, but for ever and I got excellent feedback. I cannot say otherwise. A large portion of the fandom was very very welcoming to me, but then there was this small minority who said that. My portrayal of Blair was basically a betrayal of the fandom. That I had um, written him contrary to the accepted norm in the fandom, and I had ruined their fiction awards, which was the last year they did it, which was terrible of me, and how dare I. And also that I rigged the awards because all my Stargate fans came in and voted for my story. Like they were some isolated little pocket in the middle of fandom, and if you were a Sentinel fandom, you couldn't actually a fan. You couldn't actually be a fan of any other fucking fandom. So all these Stargate fans, I'm quoting here, came into the Sentinel fandom and voted for me and ruined their awards. That's almost practically a direct quote. And I had someone who set up an anonymous email and exchanged a series of emails with me where they claimed to be a big-name fan in the Sentinel fandom, where basically she told me to leave the fandom. And I told her to kiss my ass. And then shortly thereafter, I read um, a story called The Unlikely and the Unwilling, 
and I started writing. I started writing the Sentinels of Atlantis um, because why the fuck not? I. Uh, but even before this this big name this this so called big name fan asked me to leave their fandom because I wasn't um, I didn't play well with others. Uh, <clears throat> I had already decided that I wasn't going to write in that fandom ever again because it's full of fucking assholes. But that's not true because there are some really good people in the Sentinel fandom, but their assholes are epic. I mean, like, there are assholes in the Stargate fandom, but the assholes in the Sentinel fandom are, like, felony-level assholes. I mean, like, in Stargate, you get, like, petty larceny-level assholes and maybe Grand Theft Auto asshole, but in the Sentinel fandom, they're right there, like, serial killer-level psycho fucking asshole. I mean, I'm just making a comparison here. I'm not saying there are serial killers in the Sentinel fandom, although there could be. I'm just saying that they're on that level. They're fucking psycho. Anyways, there's a lot of fanon to play with in the Sentinel fandom, and we're going to talk about that. There are two kind. There are two ways to approach the Sentinel concept, and that is Sentinels are known and Sentinels are unknown. And when it comes to the known Sentinel. Society knows what's them at large. There's probably there's definitely more than one in, in that concept because it's what it is. There's tribal dynamics, there's shamanism that you can explore, there's spirit animals, there's government organizations, there's guys with empathic abilities, which is not canon, it is fanon. Um there's uh, the guide slavery concept. There's Sentinel and guide um, government ownership, which comes in to it. And so it can't be ignored. Um, you can't, well, you can't ignore it. You can absolutely ignore it, but it's there. It's there. And uh, what we know about governments as a rule is that if they can use somebody, they will use somebody. And if they can use you against somebody, they will use you against somebody. So somebody who actually had in um, heightened senses the way Jim does in canon would be deeply vulnerable to the government. The online latent and dormant thing is completely fanon. I don't know where the latent and the dormant come from. I don't think I can lay ownership to that. I don't. I don't want to try. I read so much Sentinel fandom, fanon, um, fandom fan fiction that I literally could not tell you where it comes from. I do not believe in any way that it's mine. I, I, don't, I don't know where it comes from. It's because when you read so much fan fiction, everything just kind of pushes together, and then you don't know what to do with it. You know. So when it comes to Sentinels are known that they, you also have um, uh, packs or prides. I know that when I um, did the Awakening, I went with Pride over Pack, and I don't remember why I chose Pack. I mean Pride over Pack. I don't remember why. I have no idea. The thing is, is that Alex wasn't latent or dormant. She was an online sentinel. She was she was a sentinel. She was just an asshole sentinel. She had heightened senses. 
Pride is a pretty common fanon. And I think that originally in The Awakening, I was going to use the term pack just to separate myself out um, a little bit from the... uh, the pack so to speak <laughs> but in the end i did go with pride because it was established in the in in the fanon of the show um yes and evil sentinels are in fact canon for um the sentinel i uh actually explore that concept a little bit in the sentinels of atlantis because there is a sentinel on earth who's a real asshole his guys know better Now, if you go into the concept where sentinels are unknown, you have an entirely different set of um, concepts to play with. The Blessed Protector Syndrome, I've seen it everywhere in fan fiction. I do not know if it's canon. I, I really have no clue. Maybe in the chat room they'll talk about that, and I'll mention it again later if they do. If the sentinel is unknown... You have the options of uh, secret societies and uh, disabilities and uh, dangerous zoning and extreme senses and ex- severe potential for abuse. Because if he's n- if sentinels aren't known, they can't be protected there, and there can't be laws in place to protect them from government misuse. So when sentinels are secret, they're deeply vulnerable to being exposed, and that exposure can lead to abuse. And that's also a a concept you can explore in your story. As you go through it, you can talk about how to keep it a secret, why to keep it a secret, why you wouldn't want to keep it a secret. If there's only one or two or perhaps three, You don't want to keep it. I mean, you you want to keep it a secret because then you become unique and you become extremely valuable. The more unique something or someone is, the more valuable they are. And Jim, especially in canon, was hugely valuable because not only was he a sentinel, but he had military skills. Um, and that makes him the kind of asset the government would spend a great deal of money to control. I don't think in a short story concept you have room to explore the idea of going from unknown to known. So when you're getting ready to put your story together, and hopefully you guys are already plotting, that you have made this decision already, how you're going to accomplish that and and how it's going to work. Now, they're saying in the chat room that the Blessed Protector was a throwaway line in Season 1 where Jim saved Blair from a serial killer. Now, that there is a concept of secret societies because there are secret societies all over the place already. So it, it doesn't actually take a big leap to think that sentinels and guides might be underground. There would be huge organization that's completely secret, kind of like being magical. They're saying in the chat room that there was a fic once where a government military bigwig said no, that the sensors were too touchy and unreliable. 
that's okay in fiction, but I don't believe for a single minute that if a sentinel actually existed, they wouldn't be confiscated for government use in one way or another. I mean, it's human nature. It's, it's human nature. They would be they would be considered a huge security threat. They would be contained. They would be uh, studied and experimented on, and used until they dropped dead. Literally, because that's what we do to each other. And so this is a concept you can play with if you wish to play with it. And i got people on the phone, but I have no idea who they are, and I've lost my little list, and it's just fucking ridiculous. And I used to have a list with area codes and people's names beside them. I lost my list, and I I never really got it back, and it's really annoying. Um, In the known universe, I know your area code, lady holder. I call it all the time. Come on now. I'm hot as fuck. I think I'm actually going through menopause. Is that fan too loud? I um I'm pretty sure I'm I'm hitting the change. Um because one minute I'm freezing and the next minute I am literally fucking on fire. It's like lava. Lava. It is ridiculous. Um But you guys don't care about the show like that. Anyway, um, I actually um, got married on Facebook this week. Um, That's interesting. I have a Facebook marriage. It's not like an official Facebook marriage where we claimed each other in a profile thing where we're no longer single, but we're like in a complicated relationship. It was just she put me on the list of the things that, you know, your friends list, and I was apparently the bride, or maybe the husband. I'm not really sure. Um, and, uh, uh, hold on, I'll tell you. Um, Serena Webster was the maid of honor. Who knew? Anyways, <clears throat> that's beautiful, Shaylin. Uh, I've just been told in the chat room that perimenopause can last up to 10 years. That makes me want to stab somebody. Stab somebody. It makes me want to stab somebody. Not you. I'm not particularly interested in stabbing you, particularly. But it does make me want to stab somebody. Yeah, somebody did crash the wedding. I forget who crashed the wedding. Hold on, I'll go back over there. Um, Cynthia was was the wedding crasher for my particular wedding. So if that's you then yes, you were the wedding crasher. Claire was my husband, I guess. I I don't know. Anyways, I was the priest at somebody else's Facebook wedding. It It was pretty amusing. And then I wasn't invited to one, which was awkward. How dare you bitches get married and may have to crash a wedding? What is, what is wrong with that picture? I'm just saying. 
I'm getting horror stories in the chat room about menopause. You bitches need to shut up. Just saying. Okay, so tribal dynamics is a really good concept to explore in the sentinels are known because you give your sentinel a territory, they have a tribe, they have a they they might they may or may not have a pride. It depends on how prevalent you make your sentinels because what if there was only like one sentinel for a major city and that whole city was his territory and uh everybody who lives in that city was was considered his tribe and he has to protect his tribe and this would be a a horrifying yeah concept for a urban sentinel to deal with and then you have like really uh isolated areas where like if they were like in Colorado or the Smoky Mountains or is that the same place or um no it's not the same place geography was not my strong suit in college <laughs> or high school for that matter uh uh <laughs> i just say depending on where you put your sentinel down you can explore tribal dynamics Shamanism usually is connected to Blair um, or the guide in your relationship. They have a deep and spiritual connection to their spirit animal, to to an, an astral plane. Um, you get blue dreams, which was canon. Um, blue dreams are canon. Uh, you can uh, where they get cryptic messages from beyond or from their spirit animal or you know some dead guy, whatever you know, ever how you want to work it. Uh, so tribal di- tribal dynamics and pride structure, and whether there's more, like there's a lot of sentinels or just a few sentinels, if they're rare, um, are there more guides than there are sentinels, or are there more sentinels than there are guides? Anyways. Uh, <clears throat> Empathic abilities. Thank you, Twisted Rider. I I did actually think I knew that because I went to Dollywood once, and that's in the Smoky Mountains, right? I mean, yeah, the Great Smoky Mountains. That's that's where Dollywood is, and that's in Tennessee, in North Carolina, South Carolina, maybe. I think it extends for quite a while through the Appalachias. Is the Smoky Mountains? Just saying, somewhere like that. I don't know. Look it up on a map. But I did go to Dollywood once, and it was awesome. I fucking love Dollywood. I highly recommend it. Um, There's a question in the chat room. Is the Sentinels of Atlantis still in progress? As a matter of fact, it is. I have plotted five seasons. I have written and posted one. Um, I have a huge arc planned, ginormous. uh, And um, Jade is telling me the Smoky Mountains equals Appalachian Mountains, and I appreciate that. What are the mountains in Colorado? Anyways, let me know. Uh, <laughs> Rocky Mountains. Thank you, the Rocky Mountains. I think I actually knew that in your Rocky Mountain High, you know, John Denver, Colorado. That kind of rings a bell. And it has a whole new meaning. Just saying. I don't. There was a because she said she got bunnied about Sentinels of Atlantis. I don't care if somebody writes stories 
on my ideas. Um, I don't give a shit. You can take my OCs. I'm not going to read them if you abuse my OCs. Uh, I'm probably not going to read them regardless. I, I don't do that. But um, So you can play with my ideas. You can play with my characters. I don't give a shit. Just don't try to tell anybody they're connected to my shit unless I tell you they're connected to my shit. Now, in Ties That Bind, I have several outside stories that are in the progress um, that are going to be connected to my verse, and I'm a beta on them. Senna's writing one in Hawaii Five-O, Jilly's doing NCIS, and Original Tempest is doing CSI. Um, and I'm going to be doing Criminal Minds after I finish up Stargate. So, <clears throat> yes, there are instances where I let people write in my verse and create canon within my verse, but it is rare and I'm a picky bitch. Just keep that in mind. I um, One of the most rewarding parts of, of writing Sentinels of Atlantis was exploring the first season of Atlantis and um, undoing all the terrible, horrible things they did. And also exploring what they did and how they did it and, and why they did it. And... Um, It's just really interesting. I uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with the exploding tumor issue on Sentinels of Atlantis. I've plotted several different versions of that particular um, situation. On um, I went in a very interesting direction when I did it in Ties That Bind. Um. I don't I don't think you can ignore it. I think that sometimes there are events that happen in canon that you have to address one way or another. Um and that is one I think has to be addressed because it stupidly, enormously highlights how fucked up the ancients were. You literally, at that point, can no longer ignore how irresponsible and how foul-natured the ancients were, the Alterans, because they actually created suicide bombers. That was the whole purpose behind that thing. It was a suicide bomb. Worse. That, what? Just, Really? They leave behind super weapons that blow up two-thirds of a fucking solar system. Like, that's not a problem. And there's nanites, and they leave some foul energy-sucking creature in a closet. And then they have this device that makes fucking exploding tumors. What is wrong with you? They have no respect for life. That's what's wrong with the ancients. And so sometimes there are events and canons that you have to explore, and I think that there's no way that you could write an alternate universe of Atlantis without exploring that exploding tumor bullshit. There's just really, there isn't. Because you have to acknowledge some way and somehow that the ancients are fucking assholes. And I agree, Twisted Writer, that in NCIS, it is, like, practically impossible to ignore dead air unless you're a fucking moron. Because what happens in dead air is so ugly and so disrespectful. And what was worse 
is afterwards. It was dismissed like it was no big deal. And it is a very big deal. So when you write NCIS and you write through that event or shortly after that event, you can't ignore it. You 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 can stick your head in the sand, but it it, it changes everything. Sometimes events in canon are so small that you think you can ignore them, but you can't. Because they'll come back to bite you. Now, in the episode of Dead Air, Tony is looking for a terrorist, and he's on, um, he's wired up, and Ziva and Tim are in the car. And they get tired of listening to Tony talk, and he is literally going house to house in the neighborhood getting voice prints looking for a fucking terrorist, okay? And Ziva and Tim get tired of listening to him, so they turn it off so they don't have to hear him. Now, nothing happened in the two hours they weren't listening beyond Tony talking himself hoarse. But it could have happened, and they left him completely vulnerable, looking for a terrorist. And then he gets in the car, and he makes some smart-ass remark about them listening to him. And he did, in fact, meet the terrorist. Julie's right. He did meet the terrorist during this. And the worst part is, is that Tim and Ziva thought it was funny. It's not funny. And it's not a joke. And it was played off like one, and then it was never, ever addressed in canon, which I think is probably one of the most foolish pieces of writing in NCIS. And there's been a lot of some stupid shit in NCIS. Well, there's a lot of stupid shit in any show. It's been on the air as long as that has. And, you know, every once in a while they're going to have an off day and they're going to write some stupid shit in their episode. And you're like, what the fuck were you thinking? You know, so... <clears throat> that happened, and you can't ignore the events of dead air um, with any kind of, I don't want to say it's irresponsible, but it is. I mean, the writers were deeply irresponsible for not for writing that situation in, thinking it was funny, and then never addressing it again. Because this is Tony, who has already been betrayed once by a partner, by somebody he trusted. And there and here are these two assholes who've left him hanging in the field while he's talking to a fucking terrorist. Now, realistically, it would have destroyed his trust and faith in Ziva and Tim forever. But the people who wrote it acted like it was a joke. There are plenty of fans of that show who did not think it was funny. I don't think it was funny. In fact, I stopped watching the show for a great deal of time because of that episode. And the fandom, Jilly's right, the fandom did blow up. And it got to the point where some people don't even want to hear the words dead air because it was it just boomed. You know, like there are certain events in canon that boom, and you're like, what the fuck happened? And then you have to deal with it, you know. I don't know. 
I wasn't in the SG One fandom, but I have to think like that episode where they did the Groundhog Day and Jack kissed Sam. I bet that was a big moment in fandom. Ugly. I I bet it got ugly in the SG One fandom. I, I bet it got real, real ugly. Just like, just like in that fucking. Oh, for fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. When Rodney takes Jennifer Keller back to Earth, and then he saves her, and she tells him she loves him. I wanted to stab somebody in the head. Not as much as I did during the last three minutes of the the shrine, but it was close. Real close. Just saying. (sighs) So sometimes... Shit happens in canon that you have to address, and I don't think that um, I can ignore the exploding tumor. I certainly won't kill anybody that I like with the exploding tumor, uh, which means I definitely have to get Jennifer Keller off the city before the exploding center tumor happens, because that would be so sad if I killed Evan's guide. So I have to find somebody else to kill, you know, just saying. Even the actors had a hard time with that particular love triangle of Ronan, Keller, and Rodney. It just it didn't make sense. It it really didn't make sense. And I don't know why either one of them wanted to hook up with Keller. I mean, Jewel State's beautiful, but Keller was an asshole. Okay, so um, we have discussed tribal dynamics and... Uh, Shamanism and spirit animals. Spirit animals um, play a very small role in canon. We don't see them often. When we do, it's in times of high stress or um, they come as a warning. Um, I haven't really explored them all that much in Sentinels of Atlantis. I think it will come up more in Season 2 and uh, maybe parts of Season 3. I um, mentioned them only briefly, and uh, I... Created, uh, I selected animals for all of them because I got some really, I had an artist who wanted to do um, pictures for me and I have an awesome gallery of um, my spirit animals for Sentinels of Atlantis. It's great. Um, <clears throat> so you have to, um, I think, for each one of your short stories, and um, just to clarify, the challenge is to write three short stories. That is the actual challenge. So if you sign up, you have to sign up with three short stories. That's the idea. And, yes, it is a sentinel concept, so one of your characters must have five enhanced senses. I'm just saying, that's the concept. You can't cheat. And if you do cheat, that means you lose, and you're only cheating yourself. Because I don't actually care. You don't get a prize. I just won't respect you in the morning. I'm just saying. No cheating. Anyways. <clears throat> One of the things you can explore in the um, in the Sentinel fandom is disability and what happens um, uh, if your Sentinel isn't capable of managing themselves and their guide can't help them either. Um, I don't see why not. Jade asked in the, in the chat room, um, can they have enhanced senses while being disabled? I don't see. Well, see, the thing is, is like in the um, in the show, uh, 
the idea is that um, the sentinel is a protector of the tribe, <clears throat> which means he's able-bodied so that he can physically protect the tribe um, that he lives with. He's a sentinel. He's a guard. He's he's a, a warrior. I think that um, in a uh, society where sentinels have always been known, and there are many sentinels, um, it would be very easy to explore physical disability either caused by the um, being a sentinel because what would happen if somebody didn't have control over their ability to hear and they couldn't dial it down? It could eventually damage their physical ear and they could go deaf. The same thing with blindness, because um, Jade asked in the chat room about, about a blind character and a, a deaf character. If you have a sentinel who has no control over um, their eyesight, and especially if they came online at a very young age, um, just looking up into the sky during <laughs> during a summer day could destroy their eyesight. Would it make them go dormant? Who knows? Maybe their other senses would ramp up to protect them from the loss of the one that they did lose. So while Clint Barton might be deaf, um, his sense of touch would be so extreme that he can he can use his skin to hear. Now bats don't use their skin, but you know what I'm getting at, like that um, vibrations, that his skin would become so sensitive that he could use vibrations to um, take stock of his surroundings. And uh, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? So your senses would ramp up. Like Matt Murdock, who is blind, could have, like his hearing could be off the charts even for a sentinel. Because his other senses are compensating for what he lost. But if you come online at a very young age and you don't get help when you need it, these these senses could be very damaging to you physically, especially when it comes to sight and hearing. Now, the one thing that's interesting about the nose is that um, in a normal person, I have a extremely good sense of smell. It, it runs in my family. There are three or four of us. They are all first cousins. Um, we all come from daughters of – they're all female – very interesting. They're all female. They all come from daughters um, of my grandmother, and uh, we all have an extremely good sense of smell. But what I've learned over the years is that if I'm exposed long-term, like, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes to a particular smell, that my nose will become blunt to it. And I know that you can get paralysis in your nose um, against smells, which is why you get used to certain scents and you don't notice them anymore. It's because your nose starts to dismiss that scent for you to um, make your environment more pleasant. Like if you, if a skunk spray something in your yard, you will smell it really, really strong for a couple of days, and then it will go away for you. It will actually still be there. That smell will still be there, but it will go away for you. 
because your nose is no longer processing it because it's been um, desensitized to that particular smell. So when it comes to a sentinel, um, that kind of um, overexposure um, can cause saturation and can cause nerve damage and even cause paralysis in the nose. So that's an interesting fact. Um, your sense of taste and your and your sense of smell are intimately connected to the point where if you smell really, really, really well like I do, you can actually taste things you smell, which is not good. I'm going to put that out there for you. That is not good. There is nothing worse in this world than passing roadkill. Ugh. It'll be on my it'll be in my nose and on my tongue the rest of the fucking day and nothing gets rid of it. <clears throat> Anyways. So these are these are sense problems that you can create in your sentinel to cause problems. Yeah, it's really gross. I'm just putting it out there for you. On the other side of it, things that smell really good taste you really good too. I'm a fan. My oatmeal cookie is fucking awesome. Um, also, very interesting enough, people who are prone to migraines, which I am, usually have a better than average sense of smell. And my three cousins, do we all come together? We, um, all have that issue with migraines. I don't know what the correlation is. I just know that it's true for us. It might not not be true for everybody, but... Quirk, you could work in. And Julie is pointing out that you only have 15K. That is your maximum per story. Um, so don't borrow um, more than you can handle, so to speak. I'm going to put Lady Holder on the phone because um, I'm running out of shit to talk about. <laughs> Hello, Lady Holder. Hello. Now, Lady Holder <clears throat> is not participating in July. She abandoned us. No. Oh, hell no. I have... Jesus. I've had every other challenge. I just... I couldn't do it this time. And honestly, it's kind of nice not to, because then I get to read everything and then keep a lid on it all. Um, <laughs> one of the... the th- yeah. One of the things that I remember from watching... Um, uh, the Sentinel, because I did watch it. Um, the the spirit animals only showed up, I think it was in the Fountain episode, where, um, uh, or at least uh, Blair showed up in the Fountain episode real briefly where they did the merge. And there, or I don't remember seeing it very often any other time. You know, um, now, Jim's showed up more, though. Jim showed up more than oh, that. Yeah. Jim, um, Jim saw his yes. jaguar several times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when it comes to the spirit animal, you can make it as um, as prevalent as you want it to be. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's all up to you, and ever how you want to do it. Is. it. And and the the thing that um, needs to be taken into consideration is the the world you you plunk the um, the sentinels and the guides into is going to have a great deal of influence on how they act. Um, the two links that I put up, um, uh, Bogest and um, Around Atonement, 
both of those are um, originally start out in Sentinels Are Unknown. Um, Around his helmet has uh, Jim actually holding a um, a press conference where he comments, you know, I'm rare, and that's scary. And he co- he tells Cascade, I'm your Sentinel, all right? And he basically gets the whole town into the, you're watching my back. And, you know, because of that, you can take the, the logical conclusion that, you know, um, as the story goes through, that, that Sentinel's going to be known, that there's going to be uh, things that are going to be happening that on the, as history views it, are going to still be positive. But between, you know, the, the time of the discovery and the final, you know, this is how we're going to settle everything down, there's going to be abuses. There's going to be things that are going to happen. And... um you know, governments will take it. I mean, if you can have, if you can park somebody line of sight to an office building, even if the the, the line of sight is someplace the size of a postage stamp from where you are, and have them spy on a meeting where everybody feels that they are perfectly safe to say whatever they damn well please because there's no electronic surveillance, that's a fantastic thing for a government. I mean, horrifying as it is, or or a big business or whatever. And it would work. Yeah. Um, there's... Oh, kind of the case there, Circa, you had to mention that. Um, the the thing with Bogast is that one was... It's hinted around the edges from what I remember the story. It's It's never really fully acknowledged, and yet everybody knows. So it's it's one of those things that stays under the radar. So two different two different options, two different worldviews, but they they completely color how the sentinels are treated. Yeah. Um, you mentioned my story of um, the unlikely and the unwilling, uh, with how fandom was treating Blair at the time. Um. It was also how they were treating um, Rodney, because a lot of places yeah. they had him as being what was called a um, a fragile sentinel. Okay, and um, that um, that meant that his all the the, the advantages. Um, that he had were were working against him. The um, I don't remember who did it, but there actually is a set of stories where they they show all the disadvantages, where even this this incredibly minute um, amount of of you know whatever the allergen is, you know one part per million could set somebody off in a full-blown, you know, to the to the extreme allergic reaction, and yet what you had to treat them, you know, that person with were amounts of, of you know, the, the, the cure in, in amounts so small that, you know, it wouldn't even help a baby, and yet that's what they had. 
Yeah, it was it was a very weird. I, I enjoyed reading it, okay, but after finishing it, I went, I can't do this. I I, I can't see this, and that's why I wrote what I wrote and changed everything around. Yeah. And what bothers um, me about the fragile stuff um, is not so much um, the writing. I, I've read several stories that were very well written in that perspective. But here's the thing. It smacks in the face of what the Sentinel is um, because the Sentinel is the first line of defense for a tribe. He's not fragile. There's there's no way he's, he's fragile. He's a badass. He's a total badass. He's the first line of defense for a tribe. He's out there on the edges, and if he has a guide, he's that that guide is there to keep him human, to keep his humanity in place, um, to keep him focused. And his his whole mission is to protect his tribe. He's not fragile. He's not going to fall apart. But, yes, everybody is vulnerable. But there's a mm-hmm. big difference between fragile and vulnerable. Fragile borders on incapable. And that's how it gets played in fandom. I think that would actually be um, impossible, Rowan, which is why um, mm-hmm. I think... Child sent- sentinels are extremely, extremely rare, and they come online in, in very um, uh, difficult situations. Rowan asked in the chat, said in the chat room that her nightmare was an online sentinel in the womb. The womb is so protective, and the baby would be so sheltered that there would be no circumstance in the womb that would force a sentinel online. And. The, the thing for me is Jim that, um, came online during a traumatic experience. He was isolated as a child. He was ambushed. Well, yeah. Well, no. He, as he a child. The, as a child. Yeah. Briefly. There was that kidnapping, and a, a kid got killed. Then he suppressed. Mm-hmm. Then he comes online again in South America when he's under a great deal of stress. He's been isolated. His entire team is dead, and he's in survival mode. He comes online again, and then. He suppresses again, and he comes back to civilization, and he comes back again when there's a major threat to his city, basically. Yep. I wouldn't want to imagine an online sentinel in the womb, because that baby would come out insane. Quite likely. I mean, there's... Broken at birth, and I would not want to imagine it at all. It's horrifying. You know, all I can and think it isn't of is something I would write. No. All I can think of with that is you've got um little kids who you know, the world is, is weird enough as is already when you're a baby. I mean it it's um, it kinda reminds me of that creep tastic little girl in Dune. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know Her mom took the water of about. life when she was in the womb, and she came out all fucked yeah. up and creepy and she knowing the whole universe. Up. No, mm-hmm. no. Kids are cute. They're not supposed to be creepy. 
I don't remember what the actual name of that was, but she was she was incredibly creepy. Aaliyah, that's right, Jilly. Aaliyah was her name, and there was that part yeah, right. where she killed the Baron. Uh, it was her grandfather, no. if I remember correctly. No, yeah, the Baron was an Arconan. The Baron was her grandfather because her mother was his bastard child. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> I didn't know that one. Uh, this is what happens when thank you Thank you for ruining that, just the rest of that for me, because I haven't, I think I must have blocked that out. What are you doing? I, I must have blocked that paper. shit out. Mad in the sequel, she came out of the womb mad. A.M. Harbick is saying in the chat room that Aaliyah did go mad in the sequels. That bitch was born crazy. The, the problem was for Aaliyah, she didn't have the controls um, built in. She wasn't taught how to stay in control out of and, and keep her own personality um, when she had, you know, every single person who contributed to her genetically, all of them clambering in her, in her head wanting to be heard. And so... She never had a chance to get on the rocker. She just went completely off of it, and it was all set up well before she was born. So the thing is, yeah, that I don't think, um, honestly, I'm not sure a sentinel would survive to be born if it came online in the womb. Yeah. A guide, maybe. A sentinel, no. You know, honestly, personal opinion, I think most small children are empathetic because otherwise there's just too many uh, cues that are missed. You get pissed off, kids look at you and wonder what the hell is going on with you. That's you because know. they don't have any other method of um, really understanding you, so they have to learn body cues and facial expressions and mm-hmm. tones of voice because the words don't make any fucking sense. Um, uh, but anyways, back to Sentinels and... Um, the concepts that you can explore in your short stories. Mm-hmm. It's important in your short story to keep it simple. You have 15K, oh, yeah. and I know I harp a lot about word economics, but it is super, super important when you're writing in the short form to make every single word count. Like the words James McAvoy and buckskin leather pants. That says all it needs to be said, really, doesn't it? You don't need anything else. And can we talk about Tom Hiddleston's ass? Have you seen that shit on Tumblr? Holy shit. That man has got a beautiful ass. Beautiful. (laughs) Oh, God. Beautiful. That is the best half second I've ever seen in my life. Wait. Wow. Wow. Uh-huh. I am going to watch that movie out of the corner of my eye just so I can watch the full scene. <laughs> I'm going to reblog that gift set three times a month. What? I don't care. Where is that? Oh. Wow. That is just a thing of beauty. Just, wow. 
I, I need somebody to go with me to watch this movie so they can watch all the scary parts and then let me see the naked parts. Because <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. actually like scary movies, so I need a buddy. <laughs> I'm and nearby, so that we're, we're... move, that move he makes in that scene where she pulls, pushes his pants down, and you see his booty. Um. And it's a fine booty, I must say. There's this move he makes. That is, oh, that is some sexy shit. That is, like, so fucking sexy. Well, we know he can move because we watch him dance, right? And um, he -hmm. can, you know that, man. I don't mean, I don't like to talk about people this way, but he kind of brought it on himself, so I'm just going to say this. That man must fuck like it's his job. <laughs> yeah, that's a distinct possibility. I, I hope he's got. Yeah. I mean, his J O B. Damn. <laughs> and I don't like to talk about men that way. Yes, I do. Um, but oh God, I mean, I just I, I was mesmerized. I sat there and watched that gift for like. I don't know, 30 minutes? <laughs> I'm just like, look at that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a hobby he's serious about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's lucky. <sighs> but you know what? My favorite thought during this whole thing was, is the next time one of the guys from the Avengers sees Tom Hiddleston, they're going to be like, dude, really? Uh-huh. You had to show the whole world your ass, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> Can you imagine the shit he's going to get for that? Well, what is it? Um, like, really? Uh, Chris Evans. Hey, Chris Evans showed uh, quite a bit, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah, let's all be honest. He, he's shown quite a bit, and RDJ's probably Chris Evans knows much. what he looks like. He ain't even playing. Like, yeah, look at this. Mm-hmm. Look how hard I work for this. Check check this out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm kind of aware. I'm kind of aware <laughs> how that's working out for me. Yes. But yeah, yeah. Tom Hilson um, is hereby uh, has the prettiest ass um, I've seen this month. I'm going to put that out there. I don't want to hear about bananas in anybody's asses. Yeah. What? Like okay, for real? I don't want to know. Jay really? says Chris Evans stuck a banana up his ass. Is that like for real, or was that like in a movie and it was a fake, or did that actually really literally happen? Oh. And if it did literally happen, are there pictures? I mean, just for science. <laughs> just saying. Just mm-hmm. put that out there for science. <laughs> oh, so it was fake. It wasn't actually. He didn't actually put a banana up his ass. Yeah, because that's actually not um, a real good idea. He said it was yeah. a real banana, and he's talked about it. Did what? No, come on now. <laughs> I don't need to know things. I I, no. I I like my 
I, I think I'm going to stick with my everything is rosy. Look, you know what? Just, um, um, put this out here for you bitches and boys. Um, there are plenty of things you can buy to put up your ass. You don't have to resort to fruit and vegetables. <laughs> Unless you want to do figging, which requires ginger. That's an entirely different conversation and a different kink entirely than just um, anal penetration. Um, and be careful with that shit, bitches. Just be careful. Um, and use lubrication. But I'm just saying, if you need to <laughs> fill your ass with something, you can buy a plug. There are plenty of things you can buy that are, that are supposed to be in your ass. You don't got to go out and abuse vegetables. Actually, technically, that's a fruit, but sure. Actually, I was thinking about um, cucumbers, but, uh, yeah, fruits and vegetables. Leave fruits and vegetables alone. They go in your mouth. In your mouth. There are dildos and butt plugs. I will find you a link. If you need a link, you let me know. I'll do some research and find you the perfect butt plug to fit your needs. We'll do a little survey. There will be a questionnaire. We'll talk about size and depth and how long you want to wear it and if you want to wear it all night, if you want to wear it with your clothes on, if you want to wear it during the day. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all this. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, and we'll figure it out, and we'll find you the perfect thing to put in your ass. Don't put vegetables or fruit in your ass except for ginger. And if you put ginger in your ass, you got to be committed to that shit. Be careful. No frozen hot dogs. Those things break off, and then you have to go to the emergency room to get it taken out. You don't want to be that person in the emergency room with a bottle. Oh, man. Yeah, the thing, the thing. With a, with a ballpark break up <laughs> Just don't, don't, don't be that person. Oh God, I'm just. Mhm. Don't don't be that person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, here's the thing. If you had to go to the emergency room for some embarrassing shit like that, privacy laws or not, people are going to know, okay? It's going to come out. Your relatives are going to find out. Your grandma will find Mm -hmm. out. Do you really want to explain to your grandma why you put a hot dog up your ass? I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just putting that out there for you. We'll help you out. We'll have a questionnaire. You can answer the questions. It'll be done entirely privately. Then we'll do some research, and maybe there will be some testimonials and, you know, maybe some product testing. Um, And we'll figure it out for you, and then we will help you figure out which one you need to buy to make your life better so that you don't have to resort to abusing vegetables and fruit. Yeah, let's. Um, or flashlights. Or oh, salami. <laughs> or 
or oh, a hot dog. Duck. Or yeah, there's, there's just jerky. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just come on. Come on now. We can work this. We can work it out. I promise <laughs> it'll be okay. Now, here is um, yep. actually something that um, needs to be considered when you're writing um, um, Sentinels and Guides. Um, the sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you make your if you go too far with your sentinel and you make them too sensitive, if you make them fragile, you can't let them have sex. If they're so fragile they can't wear clothes or they get big not, rashes yeah, from right. wearing regular clothes or 100% cotton or or they have um allergies to practically everything, um, if they bruise easily, if they have um, extreme senses of smell or or um, taste, they're not going to be able to fuck. So keep that in mind. When you're torturing your character with extreme senses, if you torture them too much, they're not going to be able to have any fucking fun because sex will be a misery. One of the, the major things with, with the fragility, um, it also means that whoever your character is, if they're that fragile, if they've got that many problems, chances are really good they're not going to live much longer or, or very um, to the full extent that they might be able to. So if you've got a lifespan typical lifespan of 70-something years for somebody with regular senses and your average, quote-unquote, sentinel uh, is about the same, somebody who's fragile might not make it to 40. Hell, they might not make it out of childhood if you're you're going to turn the the person's senses on as a child. And you make them so sensitive that they can't learn any kind of control because it smacks in the face of what the sentinel is. Um, mm-hmm. The Sentinel is a guardian, a, a protector, and um, they're the first line of defense, like we talked about earlier. And if you make them too fragile to do the job they're meant to do from an evolutionary point of view, why would they keep those senses? In times of stress, Jim mm-hmm. came online, but in times when he could not control it, when he was vulnerable, his senses were suppressed. So if your sentinel cannot function with those senses, it makes sense from a canon point of view that they would be suppressed and that well, your sentinel would lose them. So a fragile sentinel yeah. doesn't make sense in the context of canon. If yes, you're looking you can play at it with it. From, <clears throat> oh yeah. If you're looking at it from from this point of view, think about when um when Jim was with uh Encacha and the I can't remember the name of the, the tribe, but when he was with um the tribal group that he was in in South America, he was online because for all the fact that the jungle would cheerfully kill him, um it was an environment that had very few artificial notes to it, all right? Yes, everything there was of nature. It could quite conceivably and uh, probably kill him, but it wasn't going to trip some of the um, the triggers that would happen if he was around things like an, uh, internal combustion engines, pollutants, and, and, you know, and 
other things of that nature. As soon as he met back up with the army, he started shutting down because there was such a clash between the two realities that he was he was faced with to to stay functional to to stay alive his sentinel shut down and with the shutting down suppressed a lot of memory but you know it's it's a uh yeah the 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 show pick. um it's a it's an option that you can use as this is why he did that you know not that you know there's emotional trauma it's the physical he couldn't deal. All right. Now, I'm willing to bet that if he'd walked out of the you jungle said something. and walked. Which one? That's interesting. You said something really interesting there. You said his sentinel couldn't deal. You separated yeah. the sentinel from the man. And that's an interesting concept. Um, I don't write that, but Lady Holder does. And I've noticed it about her is that she tends to separate the sentinel in so much, it's kind of like the spirit animal is an embodiment and of the sentinel or the guide. And it's like the sentinel is lurking inside John in the unwilling and the unlikely, or the, the unlikely and mm-hmm. the unwilling. There's a sentinel, like there's a separate essence inside John, and that's the sentinel. And it takes over when he meets Rodney and there's like this um, primitive concept was really fascinating when I first read it, and I was like, "What is this? What is she doing here?" And I got, I just kind of got sucked into it. It was kind of like a vortex. I'm like, "Oh God, what are you doing? I'd never seen anybody do it this way before." And well, part um, of the reason is part of the reason is because of how Jim treats it. He treats the Sentinel as if it is something separate from Jim. Jim is yes. this guy who likes basketball, likes beer, likes Whataburger, hates the, 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 the touchy-feely shit, and if he could leave his senses behind, he would because he wants to be a cop, a normal, everyday, really good cop, but not somebody who stands out. And the Sentinel, all right, is this, this guy with heightened senses, heightened drives, um, is is bound and determined to protect everybody in his area and really is attached to this really furry guy who drives Jim, who wants to be normal and everyday and a wasp, completely batshit. Because this this furry guy isn't. He is not his version of normal. Um, I want to talk to you about what Jade just said here. She said that I did it in SL in Sentinels of Atlantis, um, where Base's Sentinel has has asserted itself, and that's because Lady Holder's unlikely and unwilling is my direct inspiration for Sentinels of Atlantis. So sometimes her concepts slip in, and especially like I didn't want to put the Sentinel up front that concept that she used because I kind of wanted to step away from her concepts. I didn't want to end up writing the same story that she was writing. You know, I kind of wanted to own my part of it. Um, So Mm -hmm. when Bates goes feral, that's when his sentinel asserts. And that's why I called that episode the sentinel. Mm -hmm. Because in that episode, Bates goes feral. And Bates who is a man who was trained 
to act a certain way in combat was pushed back. And what those natives met was the sentinel. And the sentinel was perfectly okay with killing every single one of them, whether they were armed or not. And there's a line in there where Bates says, no women and children. Mm-hmm. And that's because that was important to Bates, for Bates to assert that. But the Sentinel didn't give a shit. He would have killed everything and everyone between him and his guide. And for Bates' sake, it's fortunate that all the women and children ran. Because anybody who got in his way would have been killed. The Sentinel was focused on his guide, period. And that was um, my uh, goal during that particular episode of the Sentinels of Atlantis, was to explore the Sentinel concept in a way that um, presented the Sentinel first. And you see that battle in Bates again when he's bonding with Graham and Graham is trying to push Bates to make him assert and claim him as a sentinel. Mm -hmm. And Bates is fighting it because he doesn't want to hurt his guy. He doesn't want to hurt Graham because he sees Graham first and the guide second. And so his claiming of 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 Graham is um a little awkward cuz cuz he doesn't want to push because this whole time he's been letting Graham kind of lead the way and Graham has been doing it and then finally um during their their bonding and their claiming he has to assert himself as a sentinel so that whole episode is an exploration of Bates's journey from being just a marine to being a sentinel and um, how he fought it basically the whole way. Because as much as he wanted to keep Graham, he wasn't so sure he wanted to be a sentinel. And so that was the point behind that episode. And sometimes mm-hmm. people, when they um, when, I, when I first put it out, I got some really thoughtful emails from people who got it, who who got what I meant. But then a lot of people, it just went right over their heads. <laughs> So it's always great when someone gets it. When you when you mm-hmm. write something and you don't know um if they're going to even notice, you know? Like sometimes I'll um mm-hmm. I'll put easter eggs in my stories and no one you just flies right all over everybody's head and then like 6 months later somebody will be rereading too. and go, "Oh, I just saw that." <laughs> Look what you did there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yeah, thanks for noticing. I appreciate it." <laughs> so yeah. Well, I'll but but Sentinels of Atlantis it was directly inspired by Lady Holder's work with the unlikely and the unwilling. Mm-hmm. So um, and one of, going into that, mm-hmm. her one of uh, her ideas kind of pop in there. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, it's for me it made sense. I mean, um, John is is just as reluctant in the unlikely and the unwilling as Bates was to become a sentinel. He didn't want that. He wanted to fly. That was his, his begin all end all. And the only reason he accepted it is is, you know, he got offered it, uh, another option. 
Um, and so uh, for John, the Sentinel is, he, he's, he's reconciled to it, he's, he's adapted to it, but his first love is always going to be flight. Well, after Rodney, you know, but the, the sentences are, he's learned to adapt to them. But they're not something he was happy to, to discover, okay? And for Rodney, the poor guy, I mean, the, the environment that I gave him for a childhood was toxic, all right? He, you get genius-level kids, okay, where they're expected to be genius geniuses. They're not expected to be children, and they're expected to perform and do all of the... Um, they're expected to be many adults in a child's body, and you stick what amounts to a high-level impact in that environment. That's you know the fact that that I had him come out you know sane and at least mostly okay with what he was. You know that's a that's a very high it's a high level of acceptance in, in some ways, but it's also, you know, that's that's a guy who, thank goodness he had the, the, the centers for training, the, the people who would make sure that um, he was sane because you have what amounts to a wolf guide, which, is it, which by the way, is Fanon. Um, and I think actually that's your Fanon more than anything else. Um, really? Have, yeah, I think so. Well, you're the, you're the first one I noticed no, really codifying no. it. Well, you were the no. first one I noticed really codifying um, it, but I read we've, a we've seen a lot of where um, my my wolf guide concept is directly um, associated with a fic that I read where Blair has been sexually abused by um, somebody at a Sentinel Center, and he's in a field somewhere, oh, God, that's and he calls into a hotline, and Jim picks it up. And he's mm. going to kill himself. And throughout this conversation, story. they're trying to find Blair, and they realize that Blair is a wolf guide. And he is basically bringing down everybody around him because he's so hurt. He's so upset. So when I wrote The Awakening, that story kind of resonated in the back of my mind. Um, mm-hmm. So... Blair, obviously, was a wolf guide, and then I did the mm-hmm. child wolf guide. Um, and I did something in that story that I'll never do again. Yeah, no, it, it, it's not, it, it, it freaked me out reading it. I killed a kid, and I'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I killed a bunch of them off screen, and it wasn't, and I even mm-hmm. killed her off screen. But she was killed during the course of the story, and um, mm-hmm. it was extremely upsetting. I don't remember the title of that story. It's actually, it's very good. The sexual abuse takes place off screen, as far as I remember. I don't remember being okay. upset about it. He was very young. Um, uh it was a good story, and it, it it resonated with me, and it stuck with me um, for a very long time. Uh, 
permanence by Polly Bywater, apparently. That figures it'd be Polly Bywater. <laughs> huh. Um, it's actually well, a very good story, I... and I'm not mm-hmm. sure that's the first time I saw the Wolf Guide concept, but that's the first time where it kind of resonated in the back of my mind. I thought, oh, God, what if? Because what if you give a population in your um, in your uh, society the ability to 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 do what a guide does in Fanon, or they project that they project safety and you know uh, emotions onto their sentinel to to help them maintain their senses and to stay in control? Well, what happens if someone like that, who's very powerful empathetically, loses their ability to control that? How does that impact um, people around them, you know, the ordinary people who don't have senses or, or don't have empathic ability, um, you know, people who are psychically sensitive? How does it impact them versus someone who has no um, psychic um, sensitivity at all? Mm-hmm. How does that work? You know, what happens? And um, I just, I kind of like... Uh, worked my way through that and came up with what I did. And um, The Awakening, for me, was a very powerful writing experience. I don't regret writing it, um, but in a lot of ways, it uh, it kind of come back to haunt me. <laughs> Killing a kid was really difficult. Mm-hmm. I'll never do it again, um, ever. Uh, not either, not in fanfic and not professionally. I just, I can't do it. I no. And I don't think I realized what kind of problem I had with what I had done until her body was in the alley. And I had to push mm-hmm. through and I had to write it because I had this whole plot built around this and it had to be done. But it was agonizing. It was agonizing to write. And I think that a lot of times as a writer, you um, you push yourself to to write these kinds of stories and to have these kinds of emotional experiences um, to grow. And I did grow as a writer. Um, I just wouldn't choose to grow that way again. It's a horrific thing to think about in some ways because of of what happened. The only thing I can be really glad of is is that you did most of it offline, if you will, for for the, the story, but you still have to contemplate exactly what Unfortunately, what happened to get happened. there? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a horrible thing. But um, one of the things that that I know, um, I guess, uh, mm, it's a concept. I don't know if you've if you've taken into, but I did the um, the Young Sentinels and Guides thing, uh, where. I had Rodney do something to somebody. And what I had him do was basically lock somebody down, put him in a box. He's not going to get out. And this was Rodney doing it in his role as um, the guide half of the the, the Blessed Protector, the, the protector of the tribe. And he was making sure that somebody who was basically a monster was never going to get the chance to 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 hurt anybody ever again. 
And I'm actually looking well, it up I right did now. It, I did it differently. Um, I had Rodney kill a race. Yeah. You turned them off <laughs> is, is how it, it, it worked out. Yeah. You turned it <clears> off. <throat> yes. And I was like, when mm-hmm. I wrote that, I was like, ah, we can't kill somebody with their brain, with his brain. I was really amused. But then I was kind of horrified. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why um, Rodney had the reaction that he had. That was not plotted. That was not what I intended to write when I first wrote that. But then I got kind of horrified because I um, um, I gave Rodney the ability to kill mm-hmm. with his brain without touching somebody. He has the ability to reach out and to kill a race. And how many steps would it take him? Well, he figures out how else. to cut off a human being. Mm-hmm. The brain's built on electricity. Everything fires that way. I mean, it's a it's a form of electricity. It's um, a current in your body. Everything works a certain way, and it's a hop, skip, and a jump from killing a race to killing a human being. And once I made that connection, I had to um, work my way around that. Uh, oh yeah, J- um, Jim uses empathy, um, his telepathic abilities as a Betazoid in Tangled Destinies to fight back mm-hmm. against um, somebody mm-hmm. trying to kidnap him. Um, and I think that honestly, um, it's my own personal nightmare. I would rather get punched in the face than have somebody fuck with my mind. When you break when you break it down, when you get down to the, the very nitty gritty, the only thing that you have that is intrinsically yours and will forever and always be yours is what's between your ears. We all share too much of ourselves with with everybody around us. The the whole um public and private and how how everything acts that you know your your thoughts are are your own. They're they're what you know what you can definitely claim as your own final bit of privacy. And having somebody have the ability to go in and and fuck with that. I mean, that's what make tel- what makes telepaths so frightening. You know. Um, yes. I I hint at that concept a little bit in Sentinels of Atlantis, where um, there are people on Atlantis who are deeply uncomfortable with um, some with the guides. They're not uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the Sentinels who hear everything from masturbation to taking a shit, but the guides who feel the everything fuck out of them. The scene where I have uh, Rodney mentally lock up somebody that was. That was not a easy scene to write. It was something that it took a lot of uh, thought because what I was doing was making him judge, jury, and executioner. You know, and I did it in such a way that it would take a it would take somebody either stronger than him or you know him going back in to fix it. Um. And it's horrifying, you know, that, that I, I did that. But it's also, you can take it as the, 
the ability to do so in a tribal situation, having a sociopath loose in your tribe is bad. You know? Very bad. Yeah, especially when they when they look at the tribe as their hunting ground. So. Um. Yeah, it's uh. Oh, there's there's so many there's so many consequences to actions and and abilities. You know. Um. It's it's horrifying. It's another reason why sentinels and guides, if they're known, um, would be considered a threat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I um Claire said something it's an issue in the HP verse Harry Potter where mind reading and oblivion <clears throat> and the imperious um mm-hmm. is the imperious is the worst of the unforgivables. Um Yes, I do agree. I think the Imperius is the worst of the Unforgivables. Because um, the Killing Curse, yeah, that's bad. And um, the Torture Curse, that's bad, too. Uh, but with the Imperius, you could make somebody kill their whole family. Mm-hmm. And then obliviate them so they're just in the dark as everybody else. But uh, I actually have an idea where um, it's part of my my Pendragon legacy, the one that I'm writing, where um, Hermione accidentally makes Harry a king, um, <laughs> and um, and she, just in her efforts to keep them um, from being love potioned, uh, she accidentally activates um, his uh, his magical legacy, which he wouldn't have had to deal with until he was a grown man. And he has to deal with it. Um, and one of the things he has to deal with is communicating with the, with the queen. And he's not allowed to be within like 500 meters of the king uh, of the queen because he's a wizard. And the queen actually wears a um, an amulet that was charmed by the goblins to protect her from wizards. They cannot physically get close to her so that they can't manipulate her. Um, so that's part of sense. my uh, concept for that Pendragon. It's called the Pendragon Legacy. And what happens was is that Lily Potter um, was born of a squib line, and she is actually a descendant of King Arthur, and her son is the heir of Pendragon, the, the Pendragon legacy. And Hermione and Harry go through, and this is actually an excerpt on my site, and you can go read it if you're not reading it currently. Um, um, find out that Ginny and Ron are planning to curse them into relationships in order to rob them and just be assholes, because I'm always going to bash one of the two, and I bash them both in this story. Um and uh, so Hermione does all this research, and she's all geared up, and they have this ceremony down in the Chamber of Secrets. It's just beautiful and sweet and romantic, and they pledge their love, and, you know, it's all, you know, very magical and fine, and no one's going to know about it, right? And it's just going to be a big secret. Except, of course, in the moment they're doing that, 
They're also making Harry the head of the ancient and noble house Potter, which is not bad, except for the fact that it's also activating the legacy that his mother gave him. So he comes, he he, he goes from being an average um, fifth-year student, just pushing along, just doing the best he can, to um, being secretly married, and oh yeah, you're also the Duke of Avalon, and that makes you the Pendragon regent, and you can't talk to the queen, but here are the instructions she has for you, and oh, by the way, you have to get rid of Voldemort immediately because she fucking said so. (laughs) And so there's all this going on, and it's just because Hermione decided that they should get married to um, to protect themselves, and um, uh, she accidentally makes Harry the king of the magical world. And the thing is, is that he's the regent in every place that Elizabeth is the queen. So it's not just England, it's the United Kingdom. And he finds that out. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, Hermione. <laughs> like, it's not her fault. Well, that is, she didn't. That but, Canada you know. and, yeah, that is yeah, Canada and, and Australia. Yeah, it does. I don't, re- <laughs> I don't remember. It really does. I don't know. I have a list. I have a list. And it's just because, you know, Hermione, I just, I wanted to have this, this thing happen <clears> to Harry because he has all this, this utmost faith in in Hermione's abilities to research, and she had no fucking clue. And how could she have known? Because no one knew, because they kept it a secret. And she accidentally makes Harry um, the region of the magical world, and it's fucking hilarious, and it makes me really happy to play with it, because, you know, unintended mm-hmm. consequences. Big time. Big time. So while he's trying to navigate this, he's also trying to navigate being married and um, really, I have to do this, and are you sure about this? And, you know, it's just, it just it amuses me, so that's what I did. And um, It's kind of like a companion piece for myself for me writing the, the Phoenix from my niece, who recently read um, my, my draft. Um, I have the, the draft that I'm working on, on um, her Kindle. I sent it to her Kindle, and um, she calls me and she says, I have a problem. I said, okay. She said, are you sure? Because there's a part in, um, and it hasn't been posted yet on my site, where Hermione gets mad at Harry, and so she ignores him all day. And I put this in because my niece has this habit if she gets mad at you, she will ignore you until she feels better about the situation. And it could be anywhere from days to weeks. And I said, weeks. I mean, she's eight years old, and she wants to speak to her own sister for two weeks, and they share a bedroom. So That's I was impressive. trying to give her a different perspective on this. But then, you know, I'm not sure I have room since I once spent a month talking to my husband strictly through Post-it notes. I re- it's, it's, wait a second. You and I were talking at that point, if I remember right. Yeah, that wasn't the first time. Yeah, no. That was only a couple of weeks. It wasn't a full month like before. So, anyways, there's a part where um, Hermione ignores Harry all day, and, and he calls her out on it and says that it's disrespectful. So my niece calls me, and she says, 
it's not disrespectful, and he had that shit coming. That's those, that, that is exactly what she said to me. And I was like, she's eight. She's eight. Um, so, yeah. But um, she... Uh, she uh she's really excited about it and um she's super excited about the direction that it took and um she said uh mm. that uh she kinda hopes that Harry has to kill Ron. <laughs> so I'm not going to have Harry kill Ron in your story. She says, Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Because I'd be okay with that. Ron needs to die. But no, she's she's terrible. She's terrible. But I I am writing the Phoenix for my niece. So it so it does have um concepts about consent and body autonomy and um uh emotional maturity and sexual maturity because mm-hmm. I want it to be entertaining for her, but I also want her to um to learn something from it. And so so she gave me part of the plot because she said she wanted a fourth year story in um where um Harry and Hermione end up together. She want she, that's what she wanted. She wanted Harry and Hermione to have um to be boyfriend and girlfriend in fourth year. So that's what I wrote for her and that's where the Phoenix comes from is because she wanted Harry to take Hermione to the Yule Ball. <laughs> That's because I don't actually like to write um, the tournament because I hate that book. I hate it. I don't hate it because I hate the Order of the Phoenix, but it isn't my favorite. I think my favorite's probably the third one, where everything seems to be no, going anyway, well. Harry, I don't like the, um, the 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 whole tournament thing and writing the tournament, um, but. Uh, so, and the Phoenix, the bracelet is actually my niece's idea as well. She said, because um, we were talking about time travel, and I was, I had um, taken a time travel story, uh, and I had edited it to take out the parts that I thought were too adult for her, and then I put it on her Kindle, and I edited a lot of fan fiction for her in Harry Potter because a lot of it gets really adult, but she likes to read it because she's a big, huge mm-hmm. Harry Potter fan, and when she found out fan fiction existed, she was like, oh, you have to show me Harry Potter fan fiction. Well, Harry Potter fan fiction's full of porn. Hello? Yeah. This is true. It is. So I had to do a lot of editing, and she has... Um, she has uh, she loves Harry Crow. That's one of her favorites. But I had to do some editing on that too because there was some violence in it, and she didn't like that. And um, but uh, yeah, so I edit some stuff out if I think it's too adult for her, and then I put it on her Kindle. And anyway, the idea for the Phoenix bracelet was actually kind of hers. She said, "Well, what if Harry was in the future and things were really terrible? So he sent an object back to teach the younger version of himself to do better." She's super mm-hmm. smart. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I made all these little notes, and we sat there and talked about it. And my sister's just looking at us like we were crazy. And she said about all these things you she'd are. like to see in the story, like, you know, Harry and Hermione going to the Yule Ball together, and um, Harry doing better in school, and um, Harry being a noble. She loves the Lord Harry stuff. She loves that. 
And so I put all these things down, and, and then I took it out of my notebook, and I plotted my entire story around her ideas. So and that isn't something I will do for any of you bitches, so don't, so, so don't go asking. <laughs> I'm related to that little guys, one, so, don't so you know. Um, yeah, I, 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 she does love Harry Crow. It's, it's, I mean, it's one of her favorites, and I think it's because in Harry Crow, they start out pretty close to her age. My niece is almost ten, so there's that. She can really, really, really relate to them. One of the um, getting back to the the Sentinel stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Just to touch on uh, the way you t- you treat Andy um, and his being um, a child sentinel, he's he's come online because of you know stuff happening in his family. But he in in your universe, instead of being crippled by it, um, the he's got the advantage in some ways of being a child because there there are a number of protections that nature gives him. Also, frankly, his family closed ranks. Um, they, and you they put also him need first. to keep in mind that he has a supernatural protector because near the mm-hmm. end of Sentinels of Atlantis, um, Marius, or is it the guide? Well, you had one of the them. Ascended guide, mm-hmm. The Ascended Guide comes to Daniel Jackson and he gives him some information, but he also tells him that he's not going to be able to watch over Andy the way he has in the past. And so David Shepard needs to be aware of that, and especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to the conservator in their life because Andy might need him more. So at this point you, the reader, should have recognized um, that all throughout Andy coming online, um, that ascended guide has been there keeping him on an even keel, and that's mostly because they have his guide up there. Mhm. And that's Andy's guide that, that they rescued from that planet. And they're going to have to mm-hmm. give him back eventually. Um eventually. So, eventually. Yeah. Mhm. And it's, actually I had the, this the, idea that that he uh, that he descends by himself. He's not really ascended, he's just in the ascended plane. Um, and I had this idea that he just kind of says, okay, I'm done. And, um, like, he just leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little step to the left, and all of a sudden you are naked in public. <laughs> you know? Dudes. <laughs> naked in public. <laughs> But then I also have this yes. idea that they might send him through to Earth through the Stargate. Well, there's a thought. I mean, especially if you do what the the, the Tolan or whatever it was did, where you've got the the Stargate, you know, with the shield on and and the the iris up, and he walks right on through, and everybody's kind of going, oh, um, the fuck? Holy shit! <laughs> yes. And you know he's never it able to do it again. But, yes, but the reason he did is more mm. because of the assistance he got than because of anything else. Right, but yeah, so you know when the guy comes down, it's going to be kind of a big deal, and um, that'll take place <clears> in season two. And I think that um, this is actually a good time to talk about the elements of your plot when you're working on your short story. Um, 
there are two kinds of, well, actually, there are three kind of writers. Um, there are plotters, there are panchers, and there are those who are in between. I highly recommend when you're writing a short story, if you're a pantser, to give yourself limits. And the best way to give yourself a limit is to give yourself a plot. And it doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't have to be 20-point bullets. and um, It just has to be a guideline for you to follow a frame. You need to frame your short story so you actually create a short story and not the first chapter of a 300,000-word story, which is a pitfall of being a pantser. It is a huge pitfall of being a pantser. You'll just be like, next thing you know, you've written 200,000 words, and you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? It's never going to end because you don't have an end. You don't have an end. So remember when you're getting ready to build your short stories for July that you need to um, assess your goals, your motivations, and your conflicts for your characters. You need a beginning, a middle, and an end, um, and practice word economics. If you have a sentence in your story that serves no purpose, it doesn't need to be there. There are no posting requirements for each week. You can start one story, finish it, and start the next. You have 31 days to write three short stories. The minimum word count is 10,000 words. The maximum is 15,000 words. And if you fail, I'm going to make a big list of all the people who failed and make a big shame wall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there won't be a shame wall. But <laughs> I don't make a shame off for the asshole commenters, though. I might do that. Oh, but um, uh, it's just I really, you know, um, short storytelling is an art form, and I think as a writer, it is a um, it is a craft um, that is rapidly um, disappearing, and uh, and it's bad. It's a bad thing. So. Um, Learn your short story craft because when you can craft a story in 15K, you can easily craft a story in 50. Because it is actually easier to write 100K than it is 15. There's a lot. You you don't have to be quite as tight and 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 quite as picky and you know yeah you know you don't have to boil can, everything down. To you know, have 15 subplots and. 35,000 characters. <laughs> uh-huh. You can kill and 10 OCs. <laughs> yeah. But when you write a short story, you need to keep your plot tight, your characters minimal. Um, you need to have um, goals. Um, mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. And uh, remember your beginning, your middle, and your end. And I'm actually going to do an experiment during um, Rough Trade for myself where I'm going to structure my stories that way. So for each story, I'm going to have three posts. And those three posts will be the beginning, the middle, and the end. So I'm going to kind of break up my story and show you the structure of my short story in hopes that the next time we do this challenge next year that you'll have a better grasp of what I mean by the beginning, the middle, and the end. So, um, and afterwards, if we're, uh, if it's viable and you want to do it or you want to think about it, we can take apart one of my stories and demonstrate uh, 
the beginnings and the middles and the ends of the scenes and the goals and motivations and the conflicts of the characters and just have a little workshop on, on how to build a short story um, for next year. We probably should have done it before, but it's too late now. So um, I really don't have a really good example I'd like to use. I mean, I have some short stories, but not one I'd want to use for this. Um, so uh, we'll work on that and um, just mm-hmm. get through together. It'll be great. It'll be fun. <laughs> But I am going to post in three sections for each of my short stories, so I'll have three posts for each short story, and it, they will literally be the beginning, the middle, and the end. So you will see um, the process by which I put my short story together. Um, yeah. There's. This is part of the reason why I'm not doing it. I've got enough on my plate that right now I I would get sucked in and I would never finish. Um I completed one where I'm I'm going to be honest. I completed one where I've done it at exactly ten thousand words. So I was very happy with myself for that. But um, I, the Sentinel for me is is in some ways like Harry Potter is for you, where I can just I can run on and go and go and go. Wonderful, you know. It does need um, to be said that last year my, our, our word limit for um, short stories was 10K, and while I made that word limit on my Stargate story, I doubled that shit <laughs> on my Harry Potter story. Yes, Straight up doubled did. it. Yeah, and I sat there and I did my damnedest to make sure I got exactly right, and that was, boy, that was, I, I, I was picking and choosing the words so carefully at the end, you know, trying to boil concepts down to, you know, two, three, you know, words only. And that, I mean, it, it's difficult to do that. And to, to be able to say that you get it right, um, you're right. If I mean, if I can manage to do that on a regular basis, writing the longer stories is is much easier because you don't have to have that final level of control, you know. So it's a it's it's a it's a nice way to relax, frankly, to write longer, but to um, to write tight, to write uh, something that isn't going to feel like it's dragging occasionally. Ten, I mean, the ten to fifteen k thing is, is lovely for that. So, okay. It allows you, you to have explore a concept, and no, we don't. Mm-hmm. It allows you to explore a concept um, in a very um, confined space. So, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out for you, if the concept doesn't work for you, you haven't invested a great deal of time into an idea that you're not going to be able to. Um, that's just going to peter out on you, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So to speak. Yeah, so to speak. And, you know, it's it's also um, if you find that, you know, you just can't, you can't write the Sentinel. I mean, th- there's there's a lot of things to take into consideration when you're doing it. I mean, the, the, um, I don't know how many times just in, in real life you, you walk into a dark room, you turn on the lights, and all of a sudden it feels like your eyeballs are being stabbed. Doing that as a sentinel, oh my God, that's got to be you know that's got to be a thousand times worse, you know. Or you walk in and you smell something, and I walked in, I smelled baking bread today, you know that was great. What would happen if I was a sentinel and smelled that, you know, in my house? So all sorts of different things. 
Um, it looks like, yeah, we've got three minutes. You know, it, the Sentinels of a, a huge, rich, wonderful fandom that has a lot of um, a lot of places for people to explore. From you know the, the the fragile Sentinel concept to the indestructible Sentinel concept to everything in between, to people who um, like Kira have a heightened sense of smell and thus taste, to people who you know all their senses, including their empathetic one, are you know full tilt. You know, there's a lot of different things to play with. Everything's available. So, two minutes. Two minutes. Um, I do, I really do think it's important to do some kind of plotting to um, to give yourself a frame when you're writing a short story so that you don't go off the rails and you don't build a mountain and you don't bury a body and, you know, suddenly you've got, you know, 15 OCs and they're all named... Stephen, um, just uh, <laughs> be smart and don't put too much information into your plot. Um, no subplots, no extra characters, um, only essential characters. And remember that one of your characters must be a sentinel and must have five senses because that, it, or five enhanced senses because that is the challenge. We're down to 90 seconds. I would like to remind you all that Tom Hillson has the prettiest ass I've seen this month. Um, mm-hmm. Don't put fruit and vegetables in your ass. And if you do put them in your ass, don't put them anywhere else. Yeah, like in your mouth, the mouth or in your vagina or back in the refrigerator. They go in the garbage. Okay? Yes. Okay? Yes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Remember and loop. there's always time for lubrication. Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, guys have a great week, and asses never self-lubricate. And if they do, you take your ass to the doctor. <laughs> I mean that literally. Take your ass to the doctor. Um, <laughs> the husband caught that you, right away. He's giving me such a what the fuck. You guys, <laughs> you guys have a great weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, which kind of opens you up all the way. Um and if you have any questions about this, you can go to the Rough Trade fa- um, Facebook group and ask questions. See ya. Bye. Shut up and sit down. Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 512. Excludes in-store clearance. Active license men's packaged and flag tees. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... 
Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.